Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Young Contemptibles a military history-themed podcast with an emphasis on living history. Presented by Jake Brown and myself, Steve Davis, we are both living historians and therefore uniquely placed to offer an inside track on the finer details of the British soldier of the past 300 years. Throughout the course of subsequent podcasts, listeners will be treated to interviews with veterans and also with personalities of the living history world, as well as analytical incursions into conflicts that the British Army has been involved in. So grab yourself a mug of compote, a couple of service biscuits, and brace yourself for a full frontal assault from the Young Contemptibles. But who are the Young Contemptibles, and what does the name mean? Well, Jake Brown is the man who can tell us more. Hello, everyone. So the Young Contemptibles uh, was a little idea comped up by me. <laughs> so it's basically just a play on words. So during the First World War, the Kaiser, so Kaiser Wilhelm, uh, gave the name of the Old Contemptibles to the British Army with the BEF at the time um, as, as a little disdain for them. And they took it as almost like a, um, a badge of honour. And so they became known as the Old Contemptibles. So the Young Contemptibles, obviously, is this little um, play on words. So we are younger. <laughs> we are not the Old Contemptibles. And we um, will always, yeah, strive to be something better than ourselves. But yeah, um, so that's where we got the name from. See the, see, the first time I ever came across the old Contemptibles was when I walked into a pub in Birmingham City Centre of the same name, and it's still there now, so we're definitely going to have to go and visit that and have a pint in there. Absolutely. That'll be absolutely amazing. It's, um, it's really nice to be doing this podcast because it's something I've been asked about in my sort of Living History UK cap on uh, quite a number of times by people, and Jake was actually on a live stream with me when people were asking about it, and that is kind of, in a nutshell, how it all came about. Absolutely, yeah. It was a <laughs> sort of a kind of spur of the moment thing, really, um, with all the suggestions we had. And yeah, I'm so excited to get in with this. And yeah, it's going to be an amazing journey. We're going to have um, many different guests on, many different subjects we're going to talk about. So yeah, stay tuned for all of those in the future. 
See, the first time I came across you, Jake, was uh, actually on YouTube. I stumbled across your uh, Jake Bryan collection YouTube many, many moons ago. And I thought, oh, this is quite interesting. He's got the same sort of interest as me. So subscribe to you and all that jazz. And then lo and behold, you, uh, you turn up signing up for the uh, 48 hour trench event this year. Um, that's when we sort of first properly cross paths, isn't it? Yeah. So it was, it was quite a nice little coincidence. So I was getting ready for the, or getting kicked together for the Monty's Men trip, which I've spoke about um, a couple of times in different videos and did a dual thing with uh, my friend Kevin about so the Mon- uh, series to Monty's Men. And I needed some new uh, battle dress trousers. So I contacted um, uh, Reenactment Supplies, um, which is run by Steve. Um, and that's how we got talking. He, I said I needed a few other things like water bottles and all that sort of stuff. And he said, oh, you're getting ready for Monty's Mail? I said, absolutely. And that's how we sort of got talking. Next thing I know, I'm dragged into a trench 48-hour trench event. And uh, yeah, and the story sort of starts there. I'm now involved with the um, Ox and Box Light Infantry guys. Um, and it's and it's absolutely awesome. And then subsequently doing the podcast now. So I think it's re- really weird as well. You mentioned Monty's men there. We actually ended up in the same section as well, didn't we? Which is it's quite spooky yeah, because was, the same yeah. thing <laughs> happened for world. the 48-hour trench event as well, um, which was amazing. We've got to cover a sort of a uh, bit of a review of the trench event um in a, in a future podcast because that was that was an amazing experience we're going to do it all again next year as well i'm yeah. like a kid at christmas i'm really excited <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so gonna be great yeah so we've got um an episode lined up for to talk about the trench event next year um but we could also um, do a bit maybe the first half of that episode we'll talk about um the one from this year so we've got to give like a what's like a what to expect kind of thing if anyone wants to come along yeah, it, it's it's very much in the in the planning phase, and we're not going to give too much away. Uh, but me and Pete Neil are popping down in the next uh, few days, actually, and visiting the site that we've got in mind for next year. And it bodes to be an incredible venue for us. Um, we're looking at doing uh, we're covering nineteen eighteen and the hundred days for that one. But there is, as I say, I'm not going to give too much away. Um, but we're going to be putting more information out about that in the coming weeks, and we'll dedicate one podcast episode purely. Um, to the 2022 trench event, which is, in my mind, one of the best living history uh, events on the calendar at the moment. Definitely, absolutely, definitely, yeah. especially for the Great War, because um, not you don't see a lot of that around. And um, yeah, it's 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 an experience I'll never I'll never forget for the trench event itself, and also I'm not going to miss at all the next one going forward. <laughs> So, same here as well i mean it, it was a real experience 48 hours doesn't sound like a long time in the great scheme of things it might sound in politics but uh, in living history it's a very very long time it's um it's really it was really interesting and although i had a, obviously a huge respect for the original guys who went through it i, I came away from that event with a newfound respect for them um you know they, they were spending between say four and ten days on average in a frontline trench and we you know, spent well just under forty-eight hours, really, and uh, that was that was enough enough for me. It was uh, it's not a nice way of sort of uh, you know living life, uh, so to speak. And uh, obviously, you've not got real ammunition coming your way or, or shells or artillery. So, um, you know, we didn't have the the full experience in that sense, thankfully. But it's um, nonetheless a, a great way of sort of opening the door and delving further into what it might have been like for those guys who originally went through it. Absolutely, yeah. It's um, as you said, it's, it's an experience you'll never forget, and it's uh, the 
I was sort of expecting to be sort of tired, etc. But the extent of the sleep deprivation just over 48 hours is is incredible. And generally, you weren't supposed to sleep within in the front line. So you would even be more tired. And then in real life, with the added threat of possibly being killed at any second, really, it's um, you you come to find like a whole new level of respect, as Steve said, it's um, mm. it's incredible. It really, really is. No, absolutely. And it's it's one thing like I've heard like when you when you when you walk through the trench, etc. during daylight without any kit on you, your normal clothes, it's one thing. It's a bit tricky to get around. You might have to watch your footing, etc. But when you're in full kit, you're in the dark, you're carrying a rifle, you're carrying all your webbing, etc. Um, you're having to keep low. Um, it's it's exhausting. And it's it's you really got to watch where mm. you're going. Um yeah, it's something you can't really experience unless you actually do it. So, um, yeah, something I definitely remember. Yeah, moving around the, the trench with you mentioning that, I've just got flashbacks to having the um, the haversack on my left hip and the large pack on my back as we moved into the line oh, and God, yeah, moving yeah, through yeah. those moving through those narrow <laughs> trenches, trying to navigate through there was uh, a nightmare. It was almost like taking a freighter down the Suez Canal. Right, right nightmare. <laughs> so you can quickly understand why they ditch their large packs off. Yeah, it, it's it's impossible. It's really, really impossible. Um, yeah, <laughs> you, you just like one big lump trying to get through a small gap. It's it's not great. <laughs> it, it certainly isn't. It certainly isn't. But yeah, none, nonetheless, a fantastic event, and I'm I'm really, really looking forward to uh, to next year's event. But Jake, tell us about uh, the Jake Brown collection. Where uh, sort of why and and how did did it all start for you? So it started about I say well seven eight years ago now really. Um, just started doing small videos at home, um, a bit crap, but <laughs> as I said, at least it was early. It was early days. We all start um, somewhere. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, did a few little videos about what I'd collected, etc. The collection was fairly small by that point, um, and I just sold off a bunch of other stuff as well. So it was it was a bit of in the middle, really. Um, mm. Did a video or two about um, uh, family heirlooms, etc. and. Uh, uh, short a short video of my um, dad with the uh, regimental drums club because he was he's an ex uh, uh, core drums member of the Hampshire Regiment. <clears throat> so I did some videos relating to that, and then it sort of built on. And if, about two or three years ago, I sort of got back into it more, trying to do it more regularly. Still not regularly, but you know, um, a bit more professional as I could because um, the collection of had um, expanded so much, and uh, I was into actual re- um, living yeah, history and reenacting by that point so I had so I was much more focused on the authenticity of things um was, there's still steps to go there's always steps to go but yeah and it's expanded since then and then I've met people through that so I met um uh John Shanahan from Iron Militaria Steve Davis obviously from Living History UK uh, Pete Neal I've met Simon from Rifleman Moore channel I've met Ramsey um all these different people I've met through mm doing this oh and also my mate kevin as well who's um got his own uh, channel as well i'll link i'll try we'll try and link um people's channels and that down the bottom as well so you can go check out them as well um and met all these different people and it's been amazing and then not not just through the online so i met, met them in person been at events with them and it's um it's expanded the whole process so if i never started the channel i never would have met any of these people i think absolutely never um so a real big thank you to to YouTube really for allowing me to get this all out there and amazing people who followed and subscribed and it's it's been an amazing journey. Um, 
and I'm really, really thankful for it. But yeah, so um, so Steve, how did you get into uh, Living History UK? Well, I only started Living History UK uh, TikTok channel uh, for anyone who's listening, uh, go and follow it. Um, shameless little plug, of course. I only started up in January of this year, and it was uh, as a result of a good friend of mine, Dan. In fact, my best friend, Dan, um, known him for many, many years. He uh, started up a, a TikTok account called Fly UK. And for, for months, he was badgering me saying, you ought to set up a, a TikTok channel talking about history. You know, you're really interesting. You've got a lot of knowledge you can share with people. And I said, no, I don't want anything to do with TikTok. It's, uh, you know, people dancing around with pretty much nothing on. It's not my bag. But within a few months, I'd, I'd set the TikTok channel up. And uh, before I blinked, I was at 10,000 followers, uh, part of the creator fund. And now we've, we've, we've surpassed 50,000 followers on there. And in 10 months, it's literally just it's gone from a snowball into an avalanche. It's, it's amazing. And again, you know, thanks to that, that is one of the, the reasons why we're here doing this, this podcast. So for, on, the, on the back of that, we've obviously got the YouTube account going and we've got all the new, exciting new merchandise and big festival going on next year, which we'll uh, talk about in future podcasts. So it's been a, been a really exciting roller coaster of a journey so far. Absolutely. It's absolutely crazy. And, and, um, same as Steve, really. Um, thanks to him, I started up my own um, TikTok, which has um, exploded as well. Um, it's taken a long time to get subscribers in for the YouTube channel, but within, say, a month, I've gone from zero to over, about eight, over 800 now, I think, or almost 800 mm. followers. You're almost there. It's almost there at 1,000. But now <laughs> I'm able to, I think I'm able to join live streams, which is now great, So, which is brilliant. Um yeah, it's 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 crazy how the the um, interaction with uh, people has just been phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Like amazing questions, um, getting getting to know a lot of new people, and it's, it's been absolutely brilliant, absolutely absolutely brilliant. See, see, one of the questions I get asked fairly often is is what's the difference between you know sort of reenactment and living history, and I'm sure we're gonna touch on that. In, in the very near future and open up about it. But exactly. um, what, what would you sort of class as, uh, as living history, Jay? So I would say the difference between living history and reenactment. So um, living history to me is the, well, it's, it's, it's trying to make it as real as possible um, without obviously the threat of danger, really. But um, well, some somewhat, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, you got to make trying to get a feel for how it really, really was, and trying to be as um, accurate and as possible within reason. Um, with say with kit, say with the way you act, and also um, obviously with like food as well. So it's it's another thing. Like you go you go to sort of reenactment the general reenactment, and and I think as you've pointed out in a in a previous podcast, Steve, uh, sorry, previous live stream, I should say, um, that. People just go, or they go to the burger van, or they just uh, just do plaques, passive camping off, off, or behind mm. their sort of display or something. Um, and that's sort of the reenactment sort of people come to know some days. Obviously, not all, not always the case, but generally, the general thing is like it's sort of half done kind of thing. Yeah. But with living history, it's a case of for, say, however long, say, an event is or whatever you're doing, really, you're in that period for that time. Um, you are living, eating, breathing that event or that, sorry, that period of whatever you're doing. And it brings such a new level of um, respect for the people who went through this 
mm. um, that you never get with just a standard, just going to an event for a weekend um, and just ink it and that's it really. But this, this, is, this is something something different really. It's all about the approach and, and the mindset. Um, and I think it boils down, every, every living historian has a slightly different um, approach and slightly different tangent that they go sort of off on to, to get their fulfillment. Of, of living history but i think the, the main differences between well reenactment I, w- I would describe as um i'm not a massive fan of the phrase but i think it encapsulates it very well is it's be- it's beer and bash which is typically associated with with some english civil war groups which yeah. you know i've witnessed firsthand um mm-hmm. where they'll turn up to an event on a friday night have a skinful and then come you know two o'clock on the saturday afternoon they'll get then get into kit uh, in the motorhome and then go and do um, the the battle, and then come four o'clock, quarter to four, uh, they'll you know get back into civvies and then carry on drinking, and that that is exactly. a reenactor's typical weekend. It's very much mm. fancy dress in a, in a, in a camping field, really. That's what it is. Whereas living history is the mindset, I believe, of turning up on the Friday, um, getting your uh, slit trench dug out, your display out, making it as authentic as possible, and prior to arriving, you've researched it thoroughly. Um, you know, your kit's as close as it should be authentically. Um, and then you, you spend the weekend, you know, sleeping in your slit trench. You use, um, I don't know, compo rations if you're doing World War Two, or you live off iron rations for, for World War One or whatnot. And you spend the weekend putting on as authentic a display as possible uh, for, the, for the public. Exactly, exactly. And obviously there are s- several groups who do reenactment, et cetera, who are trying to bridge the gap or attempt to anyway. So it's definitely, say... There are exceptions to the rule, but um, well, it's not really a rule, but the norm that is within the reenacting community, to say the, to say the least. But mm. <clears throat> there are some groups who do it well, and yes, they'll they'll go out for like a drink on like the on like one of the nights of the events. But when they come back to their display, they'll they'll try and do as best they can during the event. Um, mm. And it depends. It, sometimes it depends on the period. So, <clears throat> as Steve said, there's a a lot of guy, a lot of sort of that sort of thing with the um, beer and bash kind of thing within the uh, um, English Civil War. You see a lot of it within World War II. But then you've got other periods who do very, very differently. So the people who do like the Vikings and anything Middle Ages or even so the Wild West kind of thing. It's, it's mm. They much do trying to bridge the gap of really, really well between reenactment and living history. To some point, it is more living history than it is reenactment. So, and it is, it is really amazing. I think there's a tendency as well for um, some groups to basically um, all the event is for them is just all the battle at the end of the day. And then mm. <clears throat> that's really it. And it's that that's one thing about like reenactment events. I, I never really been keen on is say the battles at the end of events. It, it exactly bit, the same. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, is <clears throat> it is very like slapdash and everyone's mm. 10 meters apart from each other and can't hit anything. So um yeah. so it's, it's yeah. almost like they're reenacting stormtroopers you know it's a, exactly, a little yeah, bit embarrassing exactly. i mean it's 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 horrendous <laughs> battles is something we'll we'll definitely touch on in a, in a future podcast because we should exactly. dedicate a whole episode to it but um the only in fact the only battle that i take part in for world war ii is um the victory show and the only reason i do it is because we we uh take the uh, 17 pounder and the pack howitzer out and when we fired our uh, sort of salvo of rounds we uh, set the cricket set up on the battlefield and play cricket and uh, it's kind of our sort of uh, way of sort of sticking two fingers up in a way <laughs> to say, you know, these battles are a bit of a joke, but, uh, but there we go. Yeah. Yeah. The only, the only battle I've um, 
enjoyed and actually thought was good was uh, at Chalk Valley uh, several years ago, where it was really well done and there was decent amount of distance between us and the uh, and the and the Germans at the time. So um, obviously World War Two, but um, mm. yeah, and it was it was really really well done. It was choreographed and it was planned out and it was absolutely brilliant. That was so well done um, yeah. compared to the average one you see at say like Odyssey or um overlord show or any other shows like that really it, yeah it was definitely definitely worth it yeah i mean as you say when battles are choreographed and they're planned thoroughly they, they can be really good and the same goes for, for napoleonic um which is a period I, i've spent many years in and my bugbear is a typical battle where it goes backwards and forwards and it's just a, a plain flat featureless uh, field and no one's dying nothing's really happening and that led to me setting up events like whittington castle where you would have the French inside the castle and we put ladders up the walls and scale it with ropes. And it just added a bit of a, you know, some dynamics to the event and it made it a little bit more believable. Oh, fantastic. Um, so we're coming up to 20 minutes now. So we're going to take a break and we'll have a little word from our sponsor. Um, and we'll join you back here very shortly. Here at the Young Contemptibles podcast, we are very honoured and proud to be sponsored by Quartermaster Stores a UK business specialising in bespoke leatherwork, footwear and historical clothing for living historians. Whether you are an old hand or a complete beginner in the world of living history, there really is something for everyone. And what's even better is that listeners of this podcast are entitled to a 5% discount. Simply use the code QMCAST5, that's QMCAST5 at checkout when shopping on Quartermaster hyphen stores.com and welcome back to the young contentals podcast thank you for joining us uh, back after the break um all links etc to what was mentioned in the in the advert will be available in the bio below so now we're going to talk about uh, how we got into reenacting well reenacting slash living history really um and my personal experience was i was been collecting well i would i've been collecting for long long time uh since i was since i was a child and mainly because most of my family comes from a military background my father served 20 years and my grandfather served before him and, and so on and so forth um and i've always had li little bits of kit etc especially from my dad's service um lying about the house and it just sort of built up from there and <clears throat> over the years i wouldn't get my own money etc i've been able to buy things here and there and um gradually built up and then i decided oh i, I want to start sort of wearing kit well I, i've always sort of worn kit since since i was since i was little um but having somewhere to go and having somewhere to do it at was it was something more special um so i started doing little like railway events like at the watercrest line and the bluebell line in sussex sussex sorry and it's it was something else to be able to wear that kit and it's obviously not claiming to be this person or whatever you're you're portraying but it was <clears throat> it was something just to experience it for once and then as things went on down the line i did little events here and there etc with with friends really and then um it was actually through airsoft because i started off airsoft not long after that as well um and through that i was like using like uh original kit etc and like world war ii and vietnam and and things on that lines so at a Vietnam event down uh, um, down south, so near Portsmouth Way, um, I was portraying, well, 
the team I was on, we were trained the NBA, so the um, Vietnamese, um, North Vietnamese forces. And um, I was approached by one of the guys who organizes it. Um, his name's Jacko. And he, do, he normally does like um, sort of the special forces like uh, for Vietnam during that event anyway. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And he approached me and spoke to me about some of the things I was wearing. I was wearing a lot of, say, like, um, British kit, uh, mixing with a bit of uh, 1960s era kit as well. And he um, asked if I had any more bits, etc. I said, yeah, I, do. I generally do have, like, a one or two kit I've put together. And he, and he asked if I wanted to come join them at uh, Military Odyssey um, a couple of weeks after that. It was about a fortnight after that. I said, absolutely. And um, that sort of started the ball rolling, really. Um got into that and it was it was amazing um and as things went on that was oh god that was about 2015 2014 i think that was and lo and behold this many years later i'm still doing it and a lot of uh blood sweat and a lot of money down the line um (laughs) it's it's expanded something i've never i've never imagined uh now i'm doing a podcast and videos etc and tiktok totally and meeting different people and doing these massive events like obviously looking forward to monty's next year and obviously with the trench event and with the new with the next one next year as well it's it's absolutely amazing i never thought i'd get to this in like a hobby of all things um a place where i started off going for a single day at a railway event like twice a year or whatever um <clears throat> to doing entire events where i'm in a trench for eight hours it's it's absolutely bizarre and you really got to realize like there's <clears throat> from well, from when I started off, it was humble beginnings, really. Like I was focused on oh, I'll get the the general sort of kit there or whatever. So I'll get the battle uh, so for World War Two, for example, I'll get the battle dress and the, the webbing and the boots and that, and that'd be sort of it, and obviously my rifle as well. Um <clears throat> and that'd be it, and that'd be fine. But when you try and get into living history, it's it's a very different ball game. You've got to look, try and get like the small cat aspect. So when I was getting involved with Monty's men um it was a very um very almost like a kick in the teeth really kind of thing of get your act together with the way i've been collecting so i've always really gone for the large kit the general kit the visual stuff never the small kit which i which i sort of neglected for quite several years because i always thought it was quite expensive it was um i could never get my head around of what was needed etc but it's actually fairly straightforward um and you get into that rhythm and you get into those things and it's and it's so much more interesting and it makes it it really makes an impression really makes uh, your kit etc look brilliant because mm. you focus on getting the small bits so if you want to do a display where you've um you've got your um have a contents for example out shown to the public it looks it looks brilliant it looks proper and then you add in say like the rations and things like that available with uh, steve um <laughs> and it it really it really makes an impression, as I said. Um, yeah, it's it's something that I would never thought I would get involved in, <clears throat> and it's expanded the repertoire so much. So I'm I'll do stuff in World War One, World War Two, um, post-war as well. So I've I've within the past few years, I've started getting kits together for and equipment together for um, the Malayan uh, Malayan emergency and the Borneo confrontation or Indonesian confrontation, as you say. Uh, the Falklands, etc., Aden, and and other such things as well, and the, and especially like Op Banner for Northern Ireland as well. Um, generally, because my father served, um, he did several tours in Northern Ireland, and that's really something that's close to my heart with trying to portray as best as I can, really. 
um, and we will we'll be doing a video, uh, sorry, a podcast, I should say, um, in the future about that as well. Um, and yeah, it's 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 something I'll never I'll never want to um, um, give up really, unless obviously uh, if the climate changes really that it might come to the future. But at the moment, I'm enjoying it so much, and I'll keep doing it in as long as I can really. So um, so Steve, how did you get into living history and reenacting? I think it all dates back to oh, blimey, probably the, the, the mid nineties, I'd say I was probably, probably when I was about five or six. Um, that's when I first started getting into, into history. Uh, at that sort of period, we had uh, a series called sharp on the television. Um, fantastic entertainment series, really, really good. And, um, it really got me interested in, in history. I sort of stood up and thought, this is, this is different. What, what's all this about? You know? And then I started opening up, you know, the Bernard Cornwall books that my, my, my dad had at the time reading them and thinking, oh, what an amazing period of history. It's fantastic. You know, there's nothing better than fighting the French, of course. Um, and from that, my, my dad started taking me as a spectator, I should say, to, um, to some of the English Civil War battle reenactments. So I, m- I remember distinctly going to Naseby one year, um, to the Battle of Naseby, and watching the battle reenactment. I thought this was amazing, all these fantastic colours of uniforms, um, pikes, people, you know, in hand-to-hand combat with swords and you know, the gunpowder smell and smoke. And I thought, this is, this is incredible. I'd love to be a part of this. And I was only, say, seven or eight at that time. And I, I sort of spoke to a few people and, you know, they, a few of the people there um, showed me some kit and I got to hold like a, you know, reenactment sword and a musket and things like that. And um, I, th- I think that's probably where I get the, the sort of hands-on history feel from now, where I'm very keen for people to pick things up for, them, for themselves. So going back to like the mid-90s, um, I was very much a fan of how could I get involved in this? And they said, well, you could become a, a drummer boy. Um, unfortunately, I'd have to have a parent or guardian with me for it. And my dad was very much against it. He wasn't interested in taking part at all. So my sort of first foray into uh, reenacting, I'll say, uh, had, to, had to sort of wait until I was about, about 18, if I remember correctly. Uh, not too long ago, Jake, before you make any comments. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, well, I had the... The English Civil War group came to Tamworth Castle near where I live and I went along to see them and uh, I watched the battle and thought, yeah, you know, it's very good, very interesting. And this, um, this person comes up to me and says, you know, would you be interested in joining uh, an English Civil War group? And before I could say anything, I, I was being kitted out with uniform and invited along to events. And uh, indeed, it was only a fortnight after that, I went to my first um, English Civil War event down at Lowesley Park near Guildford. And uh, I took part in the battle and um, that, that very much was reenacting. Um, that was my first proper event when I was about 18. And uh, I remember staying in, in a, you know, on a plastic campsite in a tent. We kitted up for the battle at about you know, sort of two o'clock, went and did the battle at three. And by four o'clock, we're in civvies again and everyone was drinking. And I thought, oh, this, this isn't too bad. But you know, a few years went by and I thought, well, surely there's got to be more out of this where you can throw yourself in, you know, sort of uh, in a deep end and immerse yourself in, in history and wrap yourself up in you know, all these, you know, sort of primary sources and, and you really learn a lot from it. And uh, I started to become interested in what we know, know now was living history. And uh, I did a little bit, of, uh, little bit of that with some medieval groups, but I have to say medieval didn't really uh, sort of uh, appeal to me as much as I thought it would. So I quickly moved on to uh, Napoleonic, uh, again, going back to, you know, being inspired by the, the Sharp series of the 90s. And uh, it was actually on telly one night and I was, I was sort of lying in bed and put sharp on. I thought, bloody now I remember watching this in the 90s. Bloody great this was. 
And it was the episode where the 60th are on there. And uh, I thought, I wonder if they have any sort of Napoleonic groups at all. So I was there on the iPad, uh, Googling away, you know. And uh, they threw up the 95th rifles, of course. You know, there's, they're everywhere. Uh, it's like the 101st Airborne of the Napoleonic period. Um, there's too many of them. And I thought, well, the, the rifles appeals to me, but I thought mm, everyone does 95th. So I looked for a 60th rifles group. And uh, I realized that there, there wasn't one, not one that was active anyway. And uh, to cut a long story very short, uh, I set my own group up, the 5th, 60th, uh, in 2013. And we started experimenting with living history. So we would um, cook up um, you know, food based off the rations that a soldier would have received on a daily basis in a peninsula. And we started looking at things like blanket camping um, and sort of living authentically under, literally just under a blanket on some, on some straw or some hay, if you look at it. And uh, that, was, that was really interesting. We went to the 200th anniversary of Waterloo in 2015. And uh, over the you know, sort of 2016, 17, things started to peter out a little bit. And uh, I got myself involved in World War II, which I'd always wanted to do. And uh, before I know it, I was involved with World War I. And uh, we, we set up the Oxen Books on the back of uh, the remnant members of the 560th, such as like Pete Neal, uh, Joe Bristol. Uh, we, we got together and we set up the Oxen Books. And that's basically what's led us to uh, where I am now. It really shows like it's all starts with humble beginnings. Mm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's something you, you cherish really, because it's, it's that buildup of your expanding, obviously not just kit, but your, your knowledge and your experiences and your, mm. and your, um, yeah, everything else that goes really with it really. Yeah. But very much. And I have to say, you know, there's of course the living history side of it is, is amazing. That's our shared interest and very much our shared exactly, pa- passion, the research that goes behind it and everything behind the scenes and the build up to and uh, after wind down from an event as well, but I have to say one of the most important things that I take away from, you know, even from reenactment as well, it's worth saying that, but also from living history is the camaraderie as well. Um, that's one of the most authentic things I think we have all the Mickey taking um, all that sort of stuff, you know, the um, character building, et cetera. Exactly, yeah. um, you know, having a laugh of each other, that's something that's timeless across all periods of history. That's just how blokes are when they're in the same room together or, you know, working as a team and the social aspect of, uh, being in a living history group or reenactment group, in my opinion, is is one of the best social clubs you could ever be a part of. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's something. It's that. It's that connection. You 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 won't really get in many other places. Really. Um, for example, it it puts a lot of um uh perspective on how maybe it was for the guys who did it. Really. Um, especially with the whole camaraderie kind of thing with it as well. For example, mm-hmm. listening to um Spike Milligan's uh, audiobooks and his um his memoirs. It really as a perspective like you 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 get why they joked like this you get why mm. not not obviously not truly because you never ex- you probably never experienced what they did really but it gives you an inkling of what what it was like and how they tried to cope with it with with humor and with yes yeah. this like <laughs> grotty kind of uh so, yeah sense of humor that was just yeah it's unrivaled <laughs> really unlike the british squaddy it's um it's that the, typical British sense crazy. of humour, isn't it? It's exactly, toilet exactly. humour. It's lads being lads. It's banter. You know, it's, it's whatever you want to call it. It, yeah. it. it just is what it is. And it's, it sort of bridges the voids of time. Every period, it, you know, you can find sources where, you know, that's just how, how, guys, how guys were and are. Uh, indeed, indeed. And it's, it's, yeah, it's something you sort of, you live for. You, um, especially with the year or two we've had with, say, with the COVID and all that sort of things, when we haven't been able to get to events, it, um. You, you sort of we've been sort of longing for that kind of uh 
oh yeah <laughs> that experience again because it, it's been it, it's, it's been a dead season really like the last year or so and then it suddenly has. obviously come this summer it's been literally uh event every weekend or there's several events on the same weekend and it's mm. you sort of got a trying to divide yourself but where do i go how do i get there kind of thing uh, it's 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 crazy but um it's it's really nice to sort of get to see people again and to get involved with things etc but in some ways the the epidemic has been good for a lot of people i think in the way of um <clears throat> it's allowed say me to to get kit together without having to worry about deadlines for shows um mm, that's true. and it's, it's it's allowed me a lot of time to um sort out certain impressions and also get the small kit together and it allowed me to um also get to know a lot more people um for example during the uh during the pandemic i met several new people i i managed to do um several um uh chats etc on my channel with different people so simon rafferman more as i said steve my friend kevin etc and and will be more in the future as well so it's it's been a help in that sort of aspect. Also, yeah, it's been very uh, down in the way of like obviously no events, but now it's opening all back up again. It's really it's such a good feeling to get involved with these things again. So yeah, I don't know. Probably I don't know if Steve feels the same, etc. Or yeah, I absolutely do. Everything's sort of springing back to uh, back to life again, which is awesome. And you know, it is what's led us on to to doing this podcast and the community we're building up from the podcast already, even though we're on the first episode, the build up to it, people have been submitting questions and getting involved and really uh, buying into the whole sort of idea of it. So we're going to go through a few questions that we've had submitted to us uh, via uh, TikTok and uh, Instagram. If anyone does have uh, any questions that they want to submit uh, for us to answer on a podcast, uh, you can do that by uh, going to Living History UK TikTok, uh, also Jake Brown 47 on TikTok, or you can go on to Instagram, uh, Living history uk so the first question we've got um is what is the public's perception of reenacting it, it can be hit or miss it depends uh generally from a wide event kind of uh, standpoint you have the public who come they really enjoy they like going around the different displays etc and they say oh that's cool etc um and then they all like to watch the battle at the end so from a general public so not so necessarily certain groups which are very much um they really like the history kind of thing. It, it, it can be a hit or miss. So some public don't like, say, events when there's German reenactors there or um, or anything else really along that line. So um, mm. it, 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 it's a really on an individual basis, depending. So we've all had instances where there's always been one member of the public who wasn't too keen on what you were doing or on that sort of line. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, set like the beer hall. And there are some reenactors who do take it too far. Um, as well mm. on that sort of side of the thing so there's some reenactors who when going out to the beer hall will wear a certain kit which is say not maybe appropriate and take it too, too far and then and then when politics gets involved with it it can be if that's another level of it we won't get into that now because it's um mm. <laughs> it, it's yeah. a whole it's a minefield <laughs> of um of, of kerfuffle really um yeah and it, it's it really depends so like for, it was a nice sort of change actually because recently I did the We Have Ways Festival, which was been which was hosted by um historian James Holland and the comedian Al Murray. It was trying to get involved in that. And it was it was absolutely amazing because you had a clientele there which was very, very different to what you usually um uh expect from the general like living history reenactment event kind of thing. 
Um, they're very much involved in history. They want to know more. They have a lot of questions to ask you, and they also have a lot of things you want to ask them, really, as well. It's actually, it's absolutely amazing. It's something I've never experienced before. It's it's very much a case of of knowing your audience with these exactly. With, exactly. with whatever event you go into. So the public's perception can vary. So. Like looking at the We Have Ways Festival, people have paid obviously a good chunk of money to be there, worth every penny, of course. Exactly, yeah. Um, £30 per ticket, I think. Yeah, in my, I mean, I didn't go. Unfortunately, I had a flat battery, so I couldn't go on the Sunday. But, um, you know, from what I've seen and what I've heard, it, it sounded like a great event. But, you know, you've, you've got a very captive audience there. You've got people who've signed up for the event. They know what they're going for. They've got a deep-rooted interest. But if you compare that to, say, uh, and I'm speaking from experience, a village fake kind of event where, you know, you've got, loads of different stalls, you tombola and all that nonsense. And then, you know, living history groups there or reenactment group, you'll always get people come over and go, oh, why are you wearing funny clothes? What's all this about? You know, and then they obviously don't know what it is. They haven't got much of a background in it. And then, you know, that leads on very neatly to ask questions such as, is that fire real? You know, are you hot wearing all that? You know, all these questions we've, all everyone who's listening yeah, has heard these before. Um, so I think it's very much a case of um, knowing your audience really with whatever event you're, you're going to. So, um, the second question we've got is, is will it mainly be World War II? And to be honest, uh, it won't be mainly World War II. We'll be delving into uh, post-World War II, uh, World War I as well, for that matter. And we'll be winding it back to the Napoleonic era and maybe even to the English Civil War in places as well, because I do love that mm. period of uh, period of history. Yeah, it's kind of lucky. Sort of me, me and Steve are sort of uh, interested sort of clash with the way like with, they meet at the World War I and World War II era, but mine go more forward. And Steve's going more back. So it's a nice sort of aggregation of uh, that sort of thing, which is great. Well, I've really enjoyed the uh, first episode, Jake. It's been an absolute pleasure on the Young Contemptibles. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, to all those who've messaged with, with questions, we'll be getting onto them in later episodes, etc. So please hold fast. Um, but um, as, as Steve said, if you want to uh, send in questions, etc., um, please contact us through our um, linked uh ways of getting hold of us and there also will be an email um coming soon uh if you want to send in questions to there also if you wish fry there as well that same email if you wish to donate to the podcast that'd be very very helpful to help with getting things together etc with with stuff for the podcast and also just helping out with uh, funding all these uh lovely things we do but yeah it, that's also that's if you wish to so thank you for joining us and uh bye from me Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.